So when you hear that cry in the sky, our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. Our Miss Brooks is an English teacher at Madison High School. She can tell you everything you need to know about the present and past subjunctive, but she's not at all sure about the future. That is, her romantic future with biology teacher Philip Boynton. From Hollywood, we present the Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis Show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it gives me great pleasure to introduce our Master of Ceremonies. Hiya, folks. This is Dean Martin. Thank you very much. Now, ladies and gentlemen, because my pleasure to introduce... Hey, Dean, one... is this my cue to come out and be adorable? Jerry, how many times must I tell you, you're supposed to come out when I'm through saying, Jerry Lewis... But in spite of her preoccupation with her own subject, she's managed to find quite a bit of time lately to pursue the study of biology. One thing is certain. I've spent more time pursuing the study of biology than the biology teacher has spent pursuing me. (laughs) It isn't that Mr. Boynton doesn't believe in romance. After all, if it weren't for him, Alice and Vincent, Mabel and Ted, and Bernice and Henry would never have gotten together. And everybody knows there's six of the happiest rabbits in town. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, our Miss Brooks is probably the loneliest teacher at Madison High, especially on most weekends. Poor Miss Brooks. Anyway, this is our Miss Brooks from March 20th, 1949. The episode is entitled Poetry Mix-Up. Enjoy this, and I'll be back with Martin and Lewis. Palmolive Soap, your beauty hope, and luster cream shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair bring you our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. Our Miss Brooks manages to keep pretty busy teaching English at Madison High School. But in spite of her preoccupation with her own subject, she's managed to find quite a bit of time lately to pursue the study of biology. One thing is certain. I've spent more time pursuing the study of biology than the biology teacher has spent pursuing me. (laughs) It isn't that Mr. Boynton doesn't believe in romance. After all, if it weren't for him... Alice and Vincent, Mabel and Ted, and Bernice and Henry would never have gotten together. And everybody knows there's six of the happiest rabbits in town. (laughs) Anyway, I was pretty surprised last week when my landlady, Mrs. Davis, told me that Mr. Boynton had borrowed my copy of Rostand's Cyrano de Bergerac from our library. We were discussing it last Thursday morning while Mrs. Davis was getting breakfast ready. I can't understand it, Connie. Cyrano is a very romantic play. Does Mr. Boynton read that kind of literature? I doubt it very much, although he surprised me once before this when I saw a book on his desk called Come Fly With Me. That sounds like a very racy novel. That's what I thought till I saw the rest of the title. That read The Life and Times of an African Tsetse Fly. <laughs> well, 
Maybe now that the weather is getting nicer, he'll warm up a bit. Remember the old saying, in the spring, a young man's fancy. Not Mr. Boynton. He's no fancier in the spring than he is in the winter. <laughs> oh, that must be Walter Denton. I asked him to pick me up this morning. Coming. Oh, come in, Walter. Thanks, Miss Brooks. Come on into the dinette. I was about to have some breakfast. Will you join me? No, thanks, Miss Brooks. I couldn't eat a thing. Not the way I feel. What's the matter, Walter? Are you ill? Well, not physically. Mentally? No, not mentally either. I guess it's what you'd call spiritual mal de mer. <laughs> you know what they say, when love enters the heart, appetite flees the stomach. <laughs> Who says that? I don't know. I guess it's anonymous. It deserves to be. <laughs> Oh, how are you, Mrs. Davis? Fine, thanks. I'll set a place for you right here. Just sit down and we'll have a nice breakfast in a jiffy. Walter doesn't want anything to eat, Mrs. Davis. He's got spiritual mal de mer. Oh, that's too bad. But how about you, Connie? I've got a big bowl of wheat cake batter humming in the mixmaster. Or uh, would you rather have a fried egg? I'll just have some fruit juice and coffee, Mrs. Davis. If I don't watch my figure now, Mr. Boynton never will. <laughs> I'll have my egg scrambled, Mrs. Davis. And just so you shouldn't waste the batter, you can give me a stack of wheats on the side. <laughs> All right. With maybe a couple of strips of bacon? Let's see now. What was I talking about again? About love killing your appetite. Oh, yeah. I'm really worried, Miss Brooks. It's about Harriet Conklin. She's been very cool to me lately. Why? Have you been eating at her home, too? <laughs> no, it isn't that. It's just poetry she's been getting lately. Poetry? From whom? That's just the trouble. I don't know who from. You don't know from whom? I don't know from nothing. <laughs> Sending her to love lyrics like mad. Here are your eggs, Walter. Oh, thanks, Mrs. Davis. Miss Brooks, I suspect that the sender of the notes works around the cafeteria. Why the cafeteria? Because that's where she receives most of them. Whoever's writing the poetry has been sneaking it into her desserts. How did you find that out? Well, I've been suspicious for over a week. So yesterday, while Harriet wasn't looking, I switched desserts with her. And sure enough, tucked right in the middle of my chocolate eclair, Omar Khayyam. <laughs> At least I think it was Omar Khayyam You mean you're not sure? Well, it was pretty gooey That's Omar Khayyam, all right <laughs> Here are the wheat cakes, Walter Oh, thanks, Mrs. Davis Oh, this thing has got me all at sea, Miss Brooks I can't sleep at night I can't study right I can't eat I know Here's the syrup, Walter Thanks <laughs> Some more butter, too, please Oh, sorry, here you are Listen, Walter, Harriet's just like any other adolescent. She's intrigued with the idea of having a secret admirer. Receiving anonymous poetry is a very romantic thing for a young girl. Can you remember receiving any poetry, Miss Brooks? Back when you were young, I mean? <laughs> just one, Walter. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow sent me the original copy of Evangeline. Ah, <laughs> oh, now you're kidding me, Miss Brooks. Uh, you must have been a baby when Longfellow was alive. <laughs> I was big for my age. <laughs> Look, Walter, there's only one thing to do. Beat this unknown rival of yours at his own game. You mean I should send her some anonymous poems and then after a while tell her it's been me all along? Exactly. Now, doesn't that make you feel better? It sure does. Oh, Mrs. Davis. Yes, Walter. On second thought, I think I will have some breakfast. 
What have you got in the house? <laughs> Just our cat and Minerva. You've eaten everything else. <laughs> These are the main points of difference in the circulatory systems of cold and warm-blooded animals. Well, that'll be all for today. Excuse me, Mr. Boynton, but you asked me to wait after class. Oh, yes, Walter. About that note you were scribbling while you should have been listening to my lecture on the North American tree toad. Hand it over, please. But, Mr. Boynton, it's personal. I'm sorry, Walter. I've got to find out what it is that's so much more important to you than the North American tree toad. Well, all right, Mr. Boynton. But you won't learn much from this. Well, let's see. Well, it's a poem. <clears throat> Tis but for you that my heart does beat, and over and over it does repeat. As it says your name, it twists like a lariat, just because your name is Harriet. <laughs> well, Mr. Boynton, now you know. It's Harriet Conklin that's more important to me than a North American tree toad. <laughs> mean to embarrass you, Walter. I think our esteemed principal's daughter's a fine girl, and I'm quite fond of poetry myself. You, Mr. Boynton? Yes, me. There are things in my life besides toads, too. Really? What? <laughs> well, uh, uh, one of my favorite bits of verse is quite similar to the one you've written. It goes, your name hangs in my heart like a bell's tongue, and evermore with love I tremble. And the bell swings, and then your name rings out. Everything you do lives in my heart. Well, Walter, what do you think of it? (laughs) It's pretty mushy, if you ask me. (laughs) Not at all, Walter. That's one of the loveliest passages in Rostand, Cyrano de Bergerac. You'd be surprised how efficacious those lines can be. I sure would. Here, here, I'll write it down for you. Now, I'm sure this will help you a great deal in your pursuit of the fair Harriet. You certainly have a beautiful handwriting, Mr. Boynton. Gosh, Harriet practically swoons every time you write the questions on the blackboard. Oh, that's very flattering, Walter. There you are. I sure appreciate this, Mr. Boynton. Gosh, after all the trouble you've gone through already, I hate to ask you, but... Well, if this works, will you be my best man? sent for you, Miss Brooks, for two reasons. Yes, Mr. Conklin. First, I want you to pick up your allotment of report cards. You'll find them in one of those envelopes on the desk. Yes, sir. It's marked for Miss Brooks. Have you got it? Not yet. Let's see here. Well, now, they're all alphabetically listed. Are you looking under B? But you said the envelope's marked for Miss Brooks. I've been looking under F. (laughs) (laughs) I found it, Mr. Conklin. Well, good for you. Pick up your lifetime supply of lifesavers on the way out. <laughs> now, the second thing I want you to do is change my daughter Harriet's seat in your class. Why? What's wrong with her present location? She's right across the aisle from a case of walking arrested development called Walter Denton. <laughs> Their very proximity has fostered an infantile romance, culminating in Harriet's receiving a series of mushy, ridiculous poems. Oh, but Mr. Conklin, Walter didn't send Just us Just move poems. him away from my daughter or vice versa. But Mr. Conklin, the poems that... The only are... poem I'm interested in, Miss Brooks, goes, Yours not to reason why, yours but to do or die. <laughs> I believe in private enterprise myself. Good day, Miss Brooks. But Mr. Conklin... I have spoken. Yes, Master, I go. 
Brooks, starring Eve Arden, will continue in just a moment. But first, here is Vern Smith. Regardless of age, skin type, or previous beauty care, doctors prove you too may win a lovelier complexion with palm olive soap. But to win this lovelier complexion, you must stop improper cleansing. Instead, use palm olive the way doctors advise. Thirty-six doctors, leading skin specialists, advised using palm olive soap this way for 1,285 women with all types of skin. Young, old, dry, oily, normal. And using palm olive soap alone, two out of three won lovelier complexions. Oily skin looked less oily. Dull, drab skin wonderfully brighter. Coarse-looking skin appeared finer. Here's what the doctors advised. Wash your face with palm olive soap three times a day. Massage with palm olive's wonderful beauty lather for 60 seconds each time to get palm olive's full beautifying effect. Then rinse. Look for improvement within 14 days, for doctors prove this way using palm olive alone really works. So get palm olive soap and start today to win a lovelier complexion. And ladies, enter the $100,000 49 Gold Rush Contest. The makers of palm olive soap offer $49,000 first prize and over 4,900 other prizes. Get entry blanks and complete rules from your dealer now. You may win a fortune in cash. When I left Mr. Conklin's office, I headed for my classroom again. Hello, Miss Brooke. Oh, hello, Harriet. Guess what? I just found another poem smuggled into my history book. And this one is the loveliest one of all, and the most important, too. Because I know who said it. I know at last who my secret admirer has been. Look, Olivia. I mean, Harriet. (laughs) How do you know? By his handwriting. Every time I've seen it on the blackboard, I've practically swooned. But, Miss Brooks, he's... Well, he's a little older than I am, and... Do you think an older man could become infatuated with a woman my age? It's happened, but I'd think it over very carefully if I were you. The first man with whom I fell madly in love was a little older than I was, and because of the difference, our romance got nowhere. How old were you at the time? I was three, and he was 68. (laughs) I just knew it couldn't work out. I figured that by the time I'd come of age, he would have already went. (laughs) You're just teasing me, Miss Brooks. But this is a serious matter. I've got to let him know I know who he is. How are you going to do that? In a very subtle manner, Miss Brooks. I'll just give him back his poem without saying a word, and then he'll know that I know. But, Harriet, your father doesn't admire your secret admirer. Oh, he will. I wish I had an envelope to put this note in, though. I don't want to lose it before I meet him. Here. You can use this envelope, Harriet. Wait till I take out these report cards. There you are. Now, I'd better be getting into my room, Harriet. I've got to sort these cards before my next class. Very well, Miss Brooks. And Miss Brooks. Yes? Isn't love a wonderful feeling? <laughs> it's dandy. <laughs> Poor Miss Brooks. In love with the one who loves me. But that's life, I guess. The eternal triangle. Oh, good morning, Harriet. Have you seen Miss Brooks? Mr. Boynton! Oh, dear Mr. Boynton. Dear Mr. Boynton. Au revoir, Mr. Boynton. Oh, but Harriet, Harriet, just a minute. What's this envelope? For Miss Brooks. Oh, I guess she wants me to give it to her. Funny how kids act sometimes. Busy, Miss Brooks? Why, no, Mr. Boynton. I was just sorting these cards. 
And I just dropped in to tell you how much I'm enjoying the book I borrowed. Of course, what with coaching the basketball team and all, I haven't finished it, but there are several passages in it that really remind me of my youth. <laughs> I was a romantic kid, all right. Them were the days. <laughs> now, in those days, I had a lot more, well, if you'll excuse the expression, intestinal fortitude. You mean concerning, if you'll excuse the expression, girls? <laughs> well, yes. You might not believe this, but I even wrote poetry. Isn't that silly? I don't think it's silly at all. You don't? Miss Brooks, if I were to... That is, if you were to... Yes, Mr. Boynton? What I mean is, in your honest opinion... Yes? How do you think the basketball team will make out tonight? <laughs> With you coaching them, they may back right out of the gym. <laughs> I've got to be running along this book. Maybe we can discuss Cyrano again at lunch. All right, Mr. Boynton, but I'm still a little amazed at your interest in such amorous literature. Maybe you've underestimated me, Miss Brooks. Underestimated you? Yes, I... Oh, oh, I almost forgot this envelope. It's for you. Well, so long, Miss Brooks. But, Mr. Boynton... Now, what is this all about? What's in here? Your name hangs in my heart like a bell's tongue, and evermore with love I tremble. And the bell swings, and then your name rings out, and everything you do lives in my heart. Why, Mr. Boynton, you underestimated dog, you. period finally arrived, and I hurried into the cafeteria just as Mr. Boynton got there. This, of course, was pure coincidence. The same pure coincidence which has occurred every day for the past two years. <laughs> the student's threat to boycott this cafeteria last week seems to have done some good, doesn't it, Mr. Boynton? Oh, yes, indeed. They've even put flower pots around on the windowsills. Have you noticed them? Those? I thought those were jars of jello. <laughs> yeah, I'm crazy about flowers, Miss Brooks. I've just ordered some from my biology lab. They certainly do a lot to relieve the drabness of a schoolroom. So do you. I mean, uh, <laughs> aren't flower pots a pretty expensive luxury for a teacher? Oh, they don't cost anything, anything at all, Miss Brooks. Mr. Conklin gets them through the school nursery. You just tell him how many you want, he signs the requisition, and that's all there is to it. Well, you ought to get a dozen or so for your room. My room? But it's so crowded. Where would I put them? On the windowsills. Oh, that's right. The pupils who sit there could hold them on their laps. <laughs> well, I suggest you request the small size pots, Miss Brooks. You'll be surprised how a few flowers will brighten things up. Frankly, when I was in your room this morning, it seemed rather cold. Cold? For a biologist, you're a pretty bad judge of temperature. <laughs> but if it's flower pots you want, it's flower pots you'll get. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'd like to get back to my room before my next class and make out the requisition. Well, certainly, Miss Brooks. But before I go, Mr. Boynton, this interest you have in flowers, does it extend to bees? Yes, bees fascinate me. Oh, then you know about the bees and the flowers. <laughs> of course, that's the first thing a biologist has to learn. But that was quite a while ago, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Mr. Boynton. Yes? Don't you think you could use a refresher course? <laughs> And so I would like a dozen small flower pots for my windowsill. Come in. It's me, Stretch Snodgrass. You've got to help me, Miss Brooks. i got a problem. A problem, Stretch? Yeah, it's about Harriet Conklin. No names, please. 
What's your problem, Stretch? As you know, Walter Denton is my best friend. And I know he's gone on Harriet Conklin. But I'm gone on her, too. I realized as soon as I seen her that she was a real gone gal, Miss Brooks. And even though she's my best friend's girl, I can't help it. I'm gone on her. Thank you, Nellie Lutcher. <laughs> even Mr. Boynton has noticed how it's affected me. He coaches me in basketball, you know. And he said if I don't snap out of it, I won't get to play in the playoffs. Well, why don't you tell Harriet how you feel about her? I'm sure Mr. Conklin would welcome the change. I don't want to go with Mr. Conklin. <laughs> Besides, I can't talk at all hardly when I'm near Harriet. I get so scared, I can't open my mouth. Sounds like Mr. Boynton coaches you in something besides basketball. <laughs> you don't understand, Miss Brooks. I wouldn't want Harriet to find out how I feel. I just want to worship her from afar. Believe me, Stretch, and I speak from experience. It's no fun from that distance. <laughs> you see, Miss Brooks, for quite a while now, I've been smuggling little notes to her every day without signing them. So you're the one. What one? The one who's been slipping Omar Khayyam into Harriet's eclairs. <laughs> That's right. But I lost the book somewhere, so I had to make up today's poem myself. That's why I came to you, Miss Brooks. I want you to hear it and tell me if it's okay. All right, Stretch. Go ahead. <clears throat> to Harriet. Oh, I love the dear silver that ain't in your hair. <laughs> and the brow that ain't furrowed or wrinkled with care. I kiss the dear fingers, not toil-worn for me. Oh, I love you, dear Harriet. Well, what's the next line? I couldn't think of another original one, so I just put down Mother McCree. <laughs> well, Miss Brooks, what's your honest opinion? My honest opinion, Stretch, is that it's pretty abominable. No kidding? And it's the very first poem I ever wrote. <laughs> Amazing. I know poets who've written for years without getting that abominable. <laughs> Look, Stretch, if you want to make a hit with Harriet and get her mind off Walter, which will get Mr. Conklin's mind off me, you'll have to give her a different type of poem. What do you mean, Miss Brooks? Well, something like, uh, say, I've got one right here. There, it's all written out for you. Let's see. Your name hangs in my heart like a bell's tongue, and evermore with love I tremble. Miss Brooks... What's a bell's tongue? It's right in front of the bell's tonsil. <laughs> and the bell swings, and then your name rings out. And everything you do lives in my heart. What do you think of it, Stretch? Gee, what I like about it, it's just the right size to fit into a Napoleon. <laughs> I'll go right to the cafeteria now. And... Oh, wait a minute, Stretch. I'd like you to do something for me first, if you don't mind. Sure, Miss Brooks. What is it? Just take this requisition to Mr. Conklin's office, will you? Sure, right away. No detours now. I want those flower pots as soon as possible. Okay, and thanks for the poem, Miss Brooks. Well, if it isn't Stretch Snodgrass. Harriet. Oh, gosh, Harriet, you're just the one I wanted to see. Harriet, even though you're Walter's girl, I mean, well, I can't help it. I've just got to tell you how I feel about you. Harriet, I think you're abominable. <laughs> I felt it right from the start. There's something I want you to have, Harriet. Here, take it. Hey, wait a second, Harriet. I'll walk you down to the... Oh, hiya, Stretch. Hello, Walter. I can't talk to you now. i got to hurry and deliver a message to Mr. Conklin. So long, Harriet. Goodbye, everybody. What's the matter with him? Well, I don't know. He seems awfully mixed up. He told me I was abominable, and then he gave me this note. A note? Well, what does it say? I don't quite understand it. It says, I would like a dozen small flower pots for my window sill. <laughs> Ask Miss Brooks to step into my office immediately, please. 
Now then, Stretch, your positive Miss Brooks told you to give me this note. Yes, Mr. Conklin. I see. Well, that will be all, Stretch. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, sir. Goodbye, Mr. Conklin. Hmm. Your name hangs in my heart like a bell. <laughs> and evermore with love I tremble. Now, really? <laughs> Come in. You sent for me, Mr. Conklin? Yes, Miss Brooks, I did. Uh, sit down, won't you? Thank you. Miss Brooks, I don't know quite how to begin. I, I received your note, of course, and, well, I never suspected you felt the way you do. Well, I did decide rather recently, Mr. Conklin. But, uh, Miss Brooks, you know Mrs. Conklin so well. What do you suppose she'd say? Don't you think she'd like the idea? <laughs> like the idea? Mr. Conklin, aren't you exaggerating the importance of my little note? It isn't as if I'm asking for the moon. All I want is some little ones. <laughs> little ones? Yes. I've got as much right to them as anybody else, haven't I? Uh, but, Miss Brooks... If Ms. a dozen is too many, I'll settle for six. <laughs> and if you don't mind, I'd like to have them by the end of the day. been working very hard lately. <laughs> and I know conditions here aren't too good. And conditions I'm... aren't too good in any school, Mr. Conklin. That's one of the reasons I want them. <laughs> Let me review this request, Miss Brooks. You say you want six little ones by the end of the day. That's right. <laughs> I'd like to string them along my windowsill. <laughs> them along your windowsill? Well, that's better than letting them lie around the nursery, isn't it? <laughs> but why do you come to me? Because you supply the whole school. <laughs> Miss Brooks, what are you talking about? Flower pot. I want you to sign the requisition for me. Requisition? But I didn't get a requisition. Here's what Snodgrass brought me. Your name hangs in my heart like a bell's tongue. <laughs> Excuse me, Daddy, but there's been a terrible mistake. Eh? What are you talking about, Harriet? Why aren't you in class, Denton? It was Stretch's mistake, Mr. Conklin. I guess I got excited. Oh, pardon me, but the door was open, Mr. Conklin. And Mr. I got... Boynton. What is this, a convention? I heard you were called up on the carpet, Miss Brooks, so I thought I'd come by and see if there was anything I could do. Oh, that was very sweet of you, Mr. Boynton. It's about the poem that was What's in What's going on here? What's all this poem nonsense, anyway? Well, don't you see, Daddy? Stretch gave you the poem he was planning to give me by mistake. But he wasn't the only one that gave Harriet a poem. I did, too. I put one in her history book. What? But it wasn't my idea, Mr. Conklin. Then whose idea was it? Do they take women in the Foreign Legion? Steve <laughs> Arden as our Miss Brooks returns in just a moment, but first... Dream girl, dream girl, beautiful Lester Queen girl. Tonight, show him how much lovelier your hair can look after a Lester Cream shampoo. 
Only Luster Cream brings you K. Dumas' magic formula blend of secret ingredients plus gentle lanolin. Gives loveliness lather even in hardest water. Glamorizes your hair as you wash it. Luster Cream. Not a soap, not a liquid, but a dainty cream shampoo. Leaves hair fragrantly clean, free of loose dandruff, glistening with sheen. Soft, manageable. Gives new beauty to all hairdos or permanents. Four-ounce jar, one dollar. Smaller sizes, either tubes or jars. Tonight, try Luster Cream Shampoo and be a dream girl, dream girl, beautiful Luster Cream girl. You owe your crowning glory to a Luster Cream Shampoo. And now, once again, here is our Miss Brooks. Well, Harriet was so impressed by Walter's efforts to woo her away from her secret admirer that she forgot about Mr. Boynton and Stretch before you could say, Your name hangs in my heart like a tongue in Barney's delicatessen. (laughs) As for Stretch, he, of course, was heartbroken. But out of his soul-shaking anguish came another great original composition, which he cleverly entitled, Melancholy Baby. I had a date with Mr. Boynton that night, and while I was waiting for him to pick me up, Mrs. Davis and I were chatting in the living room. Well, Connie, do you think that his reading Cyrano will change Mr. Boynton's bashful attitude any? I hope so, Mrs. Davis. He certainly has been backward when it comes to... I'll get it. Hello? Oh, hello, Miss Brooks. This is Mr. Boynton. I just wanted to let you know I've certainly had my eyes open by this book you loaned me. You mean Cyrano, Mr. Boynton? Yes, it's wonderful, Miss Brooks, and it's made me realize something I should have known long ago. What's that, Mr. Boynton? I don't read half enough. So if you don't mind, Miss Brooks, I'd like to call off our date tonight and stay home and finish the book. (laughs) Mr. Boynton? Yes? May I suggest another book for you to read? What book is that, Miss Brooks? It's called Everything Comes to Him Who Waits. But, brother, you're waiting too long. Next week, tune in to another Our Miss Brooks show brought to you by Palmolive Soap, Your Beauty Hope, and Luster Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, written and directed by Al Lewis, with music by Wilbur Hatch. Here's good shaving news. Three men out of every four can get more comfortable, actually smoother shaves with Palmolive Brushless Shaving Cream. This is not just a claim. Here's the proof. 1,297 men tried the Palmolive brushless way to shave described on the tube. And no matter how they shaved before, three men out of every four got more comfortable, actually smoother shaves. Try Palmolive brushless yourself. See if you don't get more comfortable, actually smoother shaves the proved Palmolive brushless way. For mystery liberally sprinkled with laughs, listen to Mr. and Mrs. North. The exciting, fun-packed adventures of an amateur detective and his beautiful wife. Tune in Tuesday evenings over most of these same stations. And be with us again next week at this same time for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Bob Lamont speaking. Stay tuned now for Life with Luigi, which follows immediately over most of these same stations. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Before my partner gets here, let me tell you the truth about it. I know Jerry never went to school. Jerry never had any education. But, friends, that doesn't make Jerry an idiot. 
Then what did? For Jumping Girls, Matt, it's Jerry Lewis. Well, I'm glad to see you, Jerry. Tell me, uh, what's new? Oh, nothing much. Last night, my cat had kittens. Jerry, every time I ask you what's new, you tell me your cat had kittens. Can't you think of anything else? I can, but the cat can't. <laughs> so there's really nothing new, huh? No, just the same old thing. You know, this morning my dog had guppies. No, you mean uh, puppies. No, guppies. Jerry, how could your dog have guppies? He fell into the goldfish bowl. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought I would bring you a Martin Lewis show from 1953. This is from June 2nd, 1953, and the guest star on the show is Jeff Chandler. Now, Jeff Chandler did his last broadcast of Our Miss Brooks just this past, just before the summer, and he will not return because he was a hot item in Hollywood as a leading man, and it's amazing, you know, how he he really just kind of flew up the uh, the food chain of, of being an unknown to a, a, a leading man in Hollywood, enough so that he could quit the radio program he was doing, Our Miss Brooks, to focus more on his movie career. In a way, Jeff Chandler has Our Miss Brooks to thank for his movie career, because in the very first year that Our Miss Brooks was on radio, they also did a movie that came out during the summer, and Jeff Chandler played his part of Philip Boynton in that particular movie of Our Miss Brooks, and that's what got him started on the movie career, and that's when he got signed to do movies, is because of the Our Miss Brooks film, which I think you can find on YouTube. It wouldn't last very long, I think, by 1962, Jeff Chandler would pass away of a massive heart attack, and I think he was in his early, early 40s. Anyway, the other thing, too, is that Jeff Chandler fought the studio a great deal because they kept they kept wanting him to dye his hair black because he was graying at the temples, and he thought that helped him with roles, and he was more right than the studio was, so he won that fight. So enjoy this Martin and Lewis show. I'll be back with Fred Allen. Transcribed. Hey, Dean, is it time for us to go on yet? Now, just a second, Jerry. Where'll I finish my Chesterfield? Regular? No, king size. Why? Well, in that case, I'll have to wait over a fifth longer for you. <laughs> Which means that Chesterfield, first with premium quality and best for you, brings you the Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis Show. Chesterfield is best for you, much milder, better tasting too. They're today's best cigarettes I... Come on, smokers, why don't you try... Chesterfield, best for you. Chesterfield, best for you. Regular king size either way, make it Chesterfield today. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it's my pleasure to bring you our master of ceremonies, Dean Martin. ladies and gentlemen, and a hearty, happy hello to all of you from Chesterfield. There's lots of fun cooking tonight, so while my partner Jerry, the crazy chef, brings the laughs to a boil, I'd like to whip up an opening musical stew for you. Ah, there's good stews tonight. 
say, dear, after I say I'm sorry. What can I do to prove to you I'm sorry? I didn't mean to ever be mean to you. If I didn't care, I wouldn't feel like I do. Oh, I was all wrong, but right or wrong, I don't blame you. Why should I take somebody like you and shame you? I know that I made you cry, and I'm so sorry, dear. So what can I say, dear, after I say I'm sorry? Should I take somebody like you and shame you? I know that I made you cry, and I'm so sorry, dear. So what can I say, dear? After I say I'm sorry. Before my partner gets here, let me tell you the truth about him. I know Jerry never went to school. Jerry never had any education. But, friends, that doesn't make Jerry an idiot. Then what did? Well, jumping the odds, fat, it's Jerry Lewis! <laughs> well, I'm glad to see you, Jerry. Tell me, uh, what's new? Oh, nothing much. Last night, my cat had kittens. Jerry, every time I ask you what's new, you tell me your cat had kittens. Can't you think of anything else? I can, but the cat can't. <laughs> so there's really nothing new, huh? No, just the same old thing. You know, this morning my dog had guppies. No, you mean uh, puppies. No, guppies. Jerry, how could your dog have guppies? He fell into the goldfish bowl. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> but it was just, uh, it was just one of those days when nothing happened, huh? Yep, yeah, except that my mother just flew in from Newark. Oh, did you meet her at the airport? No, I've known her for years. <laughs> I see. Did she come out here to visit you? No, she came to visit my uncle, who has a whole chain of Orange Julius stands named after him. Oh, your uncle's name is Julius? No, Orange. <laughs> now, wait a minute. If Orange is your uncle's name, who's Julius? My aunt. Your aunt. <laughs> How did she ever get the name Julius? She won it in a raffle. In a raffle? Yeah, you see, when she was a baby, they didn't know what to name her. So they gave her So they gave her a punch board and Julius is the name she punched out. But there's nothing new outside that, huh, Jerry? Oh, nothing new. You just picked up your mother and drove her to your uncle Orange's place. Yeah, and the car my brother stole. Your brother stole a car? 
Well, he didn't think he was stealing. You see, it was parked outside a cemetery, and he thought the owner was dead. <laughs> happen. It was just one of those dull days. Huh? Yeah, I drove my mother home on the way. It started to rain, so my mother told me to get a windshield wiper and put it on the car. Did that help? No, it kept right on raining. Kept raining. <laughs> well, so it was just one of those nothing happened days. Huh, Jeff? Yeah, didn't do too much. Oh, well. Practically nothing. Why, when I got home, I tried to transplant my giant California redwood tree. It was 300 feet tall. Oh, it was getting too big for the garden. No, too big for the pot. <laughs> I didn't know you had a giant redwood tree. Oh, yes, I planted it myself. First, I cut a hole in the seed. You cut a hole in the seed? Yeah. That's so when it grows up, cars can drive right through it. Now, that's quick thinking. Well, a tree looked a little peaked, so I chopped it down and took it to a tree surgeon. Jerry, if the poor thing was sick, why didn't you bring the tree surgeon out to see the tree? I don't throw my money away. A house visit is $5. In the office, it's only 2 I can't wait to hear what happened when you got the tree to surgery. Well, when I got there, the office was crowded. It was terrible. What was terrible? How would you like to sit for three hours with a 300-foot tree in your lap? <laughs> but nothing happened today, huh? You just sat there in the doctor's office with a tree in your lap. Yeah, when the doctor came out, he took one look at the tree. I got the shock of my life. Well, what happened? What did he say? It wasn't a redwood tree at all. It was an oak tree with a high blood pressure. <laughs> Here is Chesterfield's record with smokers. And important to you, no adverse effects to the nose, throat, and sinuses from smoking Chesterfield. That's the report of a doctor who has been examining a group of Chesterfield smokers for a full year and two months as part of a program supervised by a responsible independent research laboratory. Don't you want to try a cigarette with a record like this? Chesterfield. First with premium quality. Chesterfield. First choice of young America. And that's from a survey made in 274 colleges and universities. Try Chesterfields today. Chesterfield. Regular or king size. They're much milder. And best for you. You know, friends, when the popular songs of 1953 are counted for, there's one tune I'll bet on to finish near the top of the list. It's my privilege to nominate and my pleasure to sing Downhearted. Ever since we parted, I've been downhearted. Whoever thought I'd miss you so? Please come back, I beg you. Please, baby, please. What fools are we? Who cannot see the forest for the trees? Now I'm the one that I outsmarted and am downhearted. I lost the truest love I'll ever know. Oh, how I yearn to hold you in my arms. Once again, and I'll be 
Because our guest star tonight... Oh, Dean! Our guest star tonight... Dean! I have to rush off right now to see my girl. She just came from the plastic surgeon's office, and believe me, oh, believe me, she looks 100% better. Why, did he remove the mold on her face? No, he left the mold, he removed the face. <laughs> but here, I'm about to introduce our guest. You can't leave now. Oh, but I have to, partner Mio. <laughs> I promised to drive her to the dog races. Oh, don't tell me she's one of the dogs that's racing. <laughs> She's one of the dogs. <laughs> That's utterly absurd. She isn't? No, she's a rabbit. <laughs> well, that'll keep till after the show. Right now, I want you and our listeners to meet a star whose popularity is truly unanimous. Here's the man you'll soon be able to see co-starring with Faith Demurg in Universal International's Technicolor production of The Great Sioux Uprising. Our heist of He-Man guests, Chip Chandler! <laughs> Welcome, welcome. Yep, there, Jeff Boy. I'm no fool. I sit down when he comes around, boy. <laughs> welcome there to our wigwam, Big Chief Chandler. Ugh. Gee, holy mackerel and jeepers creepers. Isn't Mr. Chandler muscular? <laughs> Sir, I would like to meet you. Sure, kid, here. Shake. Anyone for lady fingers? You've met my partner before, haven't you, Jeff? Oh, sure, Dean, but I just don't remember where. Oh, don't you remember, Mr. Chandler? Remember you once played badminton with me? Oh, yes. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't recognize you without your feathers. <laughs> See here, you yellow-bellied tough guy. You know who you're talking to? Sorry. See here, you yellow-bellied tough guy, sir. <laughs> I have a violent temper, see? When I'm mad, I forget good sportsmanship. When I fight, I always lose my head. You do? Yeah, they always keep knocking it off. <laughs> you, a fighter? Why, when I eat at a restaurant, I leave more than you on my plate. <laughs> Jeff! Jerry just talks stuff. He never had a fight in his life. Oh, yeah? <laughs> My only yesterday, I had a fight with a guy. He hit me, then I hit him. Then he hit me, then I hit him, then 
he hit me. Then? And I quit. <laughs> Why didn't you hit him back? I'm no fool. Then it would have been his turn to hit again. Jerry, now don't go flaunting your tiny muscle in Jeff's face. Yes, yes. If he does, I'll beat him within a half inch of his life. You mean an inch of my life. You don't have that much left. <laughs> Look, Chanda. If you just lay a finger on me, I shall rear up, expand my chest to its fullest, yeah. and yell for my girl. Say, Dean, Jerry's girl must be tough. Tough? But when she smiles, her face makes a fist. <laughs> More it doesn't. She just went to a plastic surgeon. Here's a picture. Ugh. <laughs> oh, Jerry, this is awful. Was this picture of her taken before the operation or after? During. <laughs> How can you go with a brute like that, Jerry? Look at the size of her mouth. It's not her fault, Dean. It got that way from eating bananas. <laughs> oh, now, Jerry, a mouth can't get that big from eating bananas. Sideways? <laughs> Look, Mr. Chandler, let me tell you something. My girl, Yetta. Yetta? <laughs> My girl, Yetta, may not be beautiful, charming, nor fun-loving. But when I'm lonely and blue, and all the world seems to have forsaken me, I rush over and ring her doorbell. And she lets you into the house? No, she doesn't have a house, just a doorbell. <laughs> Then what? I take her in my arms and look at her, and when I compare her with all the other girls here in Hollywood, deep down inside, I get that certain feeling. What feeling? Like I want to throw up. <laughs> Jerry, you'd make out much better in the romance department if you develop your physique by doing bodybuilding exercises like Jeff here. Oh, but I do, I do, do you hear? I do. <laughs> when I get up in the morning, the first thing I do is walk around on all fours. That's not exercise, that's heredity. <laughs> Just a minute, Mr. Chandler. Are you inferring that my grandfather is a monkey? No. Then how come he works for an organ grinder? <laughs> Jerry. Jerry Lewis. Jerry, to exercise properly, you have to breathe properly. Show him what I mean, Jeff. All right, Dean. Just watch me now, Jerry. Hmm. What happened, Jeff? I just been inhaled. You see, Jerry, when I breathe, I breathe from the stomach. That's what you ought to do. I can't. I got no nose down there. Jerry, I, I can tell you've led a soft life. You've never known hardships. You ought to, you ought to learn to rough it. Live outdoors like, like the American Indians. The American Indians? What are you, what are you so surprised about? That's our play for tonight. I know, but when I finally get a line, I read it. I read it. Well, let's get going, Fenneman. Yes! If he gets a line, he reads it too. Read on, Fenneman. Right, Dean. Ladies and gentlemen, the Chesterfield Smoke Signal Players present Dean Martin, Jerry Lewis, and Jeff Chandler in a stirring drama of the Indians, entitled... Taken from the short story...
This is the reservation. <laughs> you have moccasins. Me covered with war paint. Me have red face. Me an Indian. <laughs> me have twin sons, both named Running Water. Me hot. Me cold. <laughs> me just home from summer vacation. Me go to Indian College. It is called... Tech. go school at all. All day long, me shoot arrow into air. It fall to earth, me know not where. But me rich Indian, me no care. Gray, me, me heap happy, me heap gay, me heap excited, me drive home from college in four dollar jalopy, another heap. <laughs> this man, my father. Ah, my son, you have returned. Welcome home, brother. <laughs> Pull up an arrow and sit down. <laughs> Me have been unhappy at college. Oh, great red father. No one would talk to me because me half bleed. You mean you're a half breed? No, half bleed. Me anemic. I am disappointed, son. You now talk pale face talk. Have you forgotten red man's talk? Indeed, indeed. Oh, I have. I will refresh your memory of Indian talk, brother. Repeat after me. How? 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 See, son, it's easy if you know how. <laughs> you have changed inside, too, hot, my boy. <laughs> you do not seem happy to be an Indian. True, father. I walked around the campus one day with all these feathers on, and somebody said, I'd like to see you lay eight. I was so embarrassed. Why? I did. Oh, <laughs> Brother, since you have been away, I have invented a new sport you will enjoy. It is called Indian wrestling. But Indian wrestling is an old sport. With girls? <laughs> Son, we must have talk. I have sent you to Indian college at much expense. Yes, old father. It cost you 400 beads a year. I hope it was worth it. Show Dad your report card. Here, father. In college, I learned to write my name. I see the report card is already signed. I learned to write yours, too. <laughs> I see your grades. A in TP building, B in powwow, fire making, A. Oh, yes, Father. After four years, I learned how to make a fire by rubbing two sticks together. Good. But one of them has to be a matchstick. Oh. <laughs> totem pole carving, A. I brought home the totem pole I carved, sir. Here it is. Man, dig that crazy popsicle. <laughs> Brother, we are surprised you. Here's your graduation present. <laughs> Just what I always wanted, a tomahawk in the shape of a fountain pen. <laughs> now you can kill pale faces and keep scoring the same time. <laughs> Take that present back from him, Cold. He doesn't, he doesn't deserve the gift. According to his report card, at tomahawk throwing, he goofed. I'm sorry, sir. It's just that I never quite mastered the interlocking grip. Hand me that tomahawk. See that Indian outside with the king-sized Chesterfield in his mouth? Now watch. He's now smoking regular size. Oh, brother, let me try. I'll knock what's left of the cigarette out of his mouth. Here goes. 
Son, this is the most crushing blow of all. A note from the dean saying you've been expelled because you got the lowest grade in hunting. I am sorry, sir, but during the midterms, I was out in the woods tracking when suddenly a bear, a big bear, sneaked up, threw her arms around me, and began to squeeze and squeeze me. Why didn't you scream for help? I thought it was love. <laughs> That's impossible. A bear couldn't be in love with you. Oh, no. Zelda! Mom, oh. meet your new daughter-in-law. ahead of them all. Chesterfield is years ahead of all cigarettes. Chesterfield quality is highest. Here's the proof. Recent chemical analyses give an index of good quality for the country's six leading cigarette brands. The index of good quality table, which is a ratio of high sugar to low nicotine, shows Chesterfield quality highest. Chesterfield quality highest. 15% higher than its nearest competitor. Chesterfield quality highest. 31% higher than the average of the five other leading brands. Don't you want to try a cigarette with a record like this? Chesterfield. First with premium quality and best for you. Try Chesterfield today. Regular or king size. Ladies and gentlemen, just like bread goes with butter, so does a love song go with spring. And so for my springtime serenade tonight, here's a haunting ballad that should please all lovers of music and romance. Long ago and far away, I dreamed a dream one day. And now the dream is here beside me. Long the skies were overcast, but now the clouds have passed. You're here at last. Run up and down my spine Aladdin's lamp is mine The dream, a dream was not denied me Just one look and then I knew That all I long for 
really get the girls with that singing. Thanks, Jeff, but I'll bet you do even better with that distinguished head of hair. Girls go for guys who are bringing it to temples. That's not true. My brother was raised at temples and he used to frighten girls A-way. Frighten girls A-way? But why I? He had no hair, just Ray Temple. Well, this has been a lot of fun, but... Along, Wait for me, Mr. Chandler. I must bring this present to my girl. What'd you get her, Jay? What'd you get her, Jay? What'd you get her? <laughs> oh, I got my girl one earring. One earring? I don't get it. How can your girl wear one earring on both ears? She has a very thin head. <laughs> now, now I really got to get out of here. I'd like to go with you, Jeff, but... Not before we thank you for being such a wonderful guest, Jeff. Yes, thank you very much, Jeff. And please come and visit us again real soon. Thanks, I will. Good night, fellas, and good night, all. Good night, Jeff. Friends, vacation time will be here real soon. And when it comes time for you to take off, remember, take along plenty of Chesterfields. Right. For your best vacation, pick up a couple of cartons. Chesterfields. Either way you like them, regular or king size. So until next week, this is Dean Martin. And this is Jerry Lewis saying... Thank you. God bless you all. reminding you to listen to Chesterfield's award-winning show, Dragnet, Sunday night on the same NBC station. Now, new Fatima has the tip for your lips. Fatima tips of perfect cork. King size for natural filtering. Fatima quality for a much better flavor and aroma. So remember, new Fatima has the tip for your lips. Fatima. See how smooth they are. Remember, Fatima is made by the makers of Chesterfield. Liggett and Myers. One of tobacco's most respected names. The coronation highlights tonight at 10 New York time on NBC. That's the whole.
whole trouble with this program, you know, the writers. One writer used to work in a butcher shop. He sells his jokes by the pound, has the scales with him whenever you deal with him. And the other writer comes to work with a hammer and a chisel. I think he used to write epitaphs, or he's a prehistoric old uh, gentleman. I don't know which. Some of the jokes sound like epitaphs. Well, that's the other writer. He's an old Harvard man. He writes all of his jokes in dead languages. <laughs> you can always tell one of his jokes. It just lays there. Well, enough with the uh, enough with the grumbling, as, as that one did. That was one of his specials right there. Have you, uh, did you hear Jack Benny tonight? Uh-huh. His show was cut off again tonight. Cut off last week, too. There's a new saying in radio. You'll never hear the end of Benny. From now. <laughs> Since we're back to 1948 on the Fred Allen Show, reiterate what I did last week, because that this was with the height of Fred Allen's career. He was number one in the Hooper ratings every consecutive week, every week for the entire season of 1948, 47-48 season of the Fred Allen Show. I almost said 48-49, that's not true. From the 47-48 season, Fred was number one all around, and I think uh, Jack Benny... Bob Hope, Peter McGee and Molly, they were, they were all in the top ten, So, but Fred Allen was number one. And as a rest bonus on this show, it's really sad, though, that the show that come from the East Coast, there's very few people that are back East that aren't doing plays that can do radio appearances because at the same time that a radio program was on, you know, a, the play is going on on Broadway, so very hard for those folks to actually get onto a radio show, so they have to kind of call the Hollywood elite that live in New York and commute back and forth to Hollywood from the eastern seaboard. And Basil Rathbone was one of those that lived in New York City. So enjoy this Fred Allen show, and I'll see you guys back here next week. Presents the Fred Allen Show. The Fred Allen Show with Fred's guests Basil Rathbone, Portland Hoffa, Minerva Pius, Peter Donald, Parker Fenley, the DeMarco Sisters, and Al Goodman and his orchestra. And this is Kenny Delmar speaking for your friendly Ford dealer. If you happen to get around among those who buy and operate trucks, you probably know that they're all talking about the new bonus built Ford trucks. Built extra strong to last longer. There are 139 new models, including the new extra heavy-duty jobs. The biggest Ford trucks ever built. For all the facts about the new 1948 Ford trucks, see your Ford dealer tomorrow. Ladies and gentlemen, in radio, some programs come to you as a public service. Other programs come to you transcribed. Here is a program that comes to you if you call it. Who's the star, Lassie? No, he's Fred Allen. Thank you and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. And Portland, look, after this, please, just say, here he is or something. Don't make a whole big production out of the opening, if you will. I'll speak to my writer about it. Do that, if you will. That's the whole trouble with this program, you know, the writers. One writer used to work in a butcher shop. He sells his jokes by the pound, has the scales with him whenever you deal with him. And the other writer comes to work with a hammer and a chisel. I think he used to write epitaphs, or he's a prehistoric old uh, gentleman. I don't know which. 
some of the jokes sound like epitaphs. Well, that's the other writer. He's an old Harvard man. He writes all of his jokes in dead languages. <laughs> you can always tell one of his jokes. It just lays there. Well, enough with the uh, enough with the grumbling, as, as that one did. That was one of his specials right there. Have you, uh, did you hear Jack Benny tonight? Uh-huh. His show was cut off again tonight. Cut off last week, too. There's a new saying in radio, you'll never hear the end of Benny from now. <laughs> Tell me, Portland, what's, uh, what's in the news? An anthropologist says that... Wait a minute. Uh, 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 wait. Don't use words that we're not familiar with. Break them up. What is an, uh, an anthropologist? What is it? An anthropologist is a man who is versed in anthropology. Oh, good. I didn't think he knew it. I thought I had you there. What about, what about this anthropologist? He says that brainy men are all bald-headed. Brainy men are all bald? <laughs> What are you laughing about? What are you laughing about? You have plenty of hair. <laughs> well, Einstein has plenty of hair, too. There's some difference between your hair and Einstein's. You bet there is. I comb mine. <laughs> Tell me what the... <laughs> I got a nasty letter from Al and uh, hieroglyphics tomorrow. What the... Tell me, what else is... What else is new? Gregory Peck broke his ankle. Oh, poor Gregory. Will he will he have to stop work? Well, until Gregory's ankle gets better, he's going to make hop-along pictures. Hop-along pictures. That's one of the Harvard man's jokes, too. I I'll point them out as I lay them out. But say, I'm uh, uh, fine. I'm going like a house on fire tonight. <laughs> you sure are. That's a, You sure are. And I wish I had a pail of dirty water to cope with the conflagration. Tell me, what is your it's, what is your last item? New York City is planning an anti-rat drive. Anti-rat? Mama says there's only one way to get rid of rats. And that one way is? Keep your trap shut. <laughs> Let's go out on the street and do this, will you? Let's... <laughs> We might. I won't open my trap then until I get to Alan's Alley. What is your question tonight? Well, during the past six months, the Better Business Bureau has received an increasing number of complaints about exaggeration and misrepresentation in advertising. And so our question is, have you been victimized by exaggeration or misrepresentation in advertising? Shall we go? As the two inventors said when they designed the first garter, let's make it snappy. <laughs> Well, here we are back in Allen's Alley, Portland. I guess Senator Claghorn's in all right. Look, his scooter is on the front veranda there. Well, let's make sure. Somebody, I see somebody banging my door, trying to bag it. Oh, it's you, droop face. Uh, yes, Senator. Well, give it to me fast, son. I'm busier than the syrup jug in a waffle shop. Now, wait a minute. I'm investigating the coal strike. Coal? Coal strike's doing the country a lot of good. Good. Today, in Pittsburgh, if you meet a man on the street, you can see who he is. <laughs> As Johnny Lewis says, you can't fuel all of the people any of the time unless I say so. <laughs> Tell me, Senator, about this exaggeration and misrepresentation in advertising. Advertising is the grease that lubricates the wheels of progress. You think advertising... Non advertising gets results. How? Before advertising, a man didn't know where his T-zone was. Well, Men who knew tobacco best was chewing it. <laughs> other smokers, other smokers knew as much as Philip Myers smokers knew. But uh... Dove was just laying around doing nothing. <laughs> well, Senator, 
tell me, are the politicians keeping up with the businessmen? Are the politicians advertising? They sure are. Them Republicans is advertising a slogan. It's just five letters. Five letters? L-S-M-F-T. What does L-S-M-F-T stand for? Let's swap MacArthur for Truman. So long, Tom. So long, Eddie. I think the senator's been drinking too many malted milks. He's a little frap-happy. Well, let's, uh, let's see if Mr. Moody's still up. Howdy, Bob. Well, Mr. Moody, how about this advertising business? Oh, a farmer, he has to know about advertising. Why? It's the only way he can make his farm pay. Oh, you have advertising around your farm, do you? On all four sides of my barn, I got Peruna and Liverpool ads. Yeah? <laughs> my bull, my bull's all painted yellow, advertising Bull Durham. Bull Durham. <laughs> and I got the longest Burmese poem in the country. Oh, really? How does your poem go? John McGee had a long goatee. When he combed it out, it hung down to his knee. Yeah. Today, John's happy. He married a wave. His goatee's gone, thanks to Burmese. <laughs> That is long. Uh, the poem starts half a mile down the road. I see. It comes in my gate, goes once around the house. Yeah. And the last line, the last line is on my back door, on the inside. Oh, you, you have to, you have to open the door to read the last line of the Burma Shave poem? That's the trick. The trick? As you open the back door, my wife's sitting there selling the stuff. <laughs> Well, doesn't, uh, doesn't all of this advertising keep you hopping? Sunday is my busiest day. Oh, what happens? On the Sabbath, yeah. I stand out in the front yard all day. Uh-huh. I'm wearing a silk hat, a swallowtail coat, an ascot tie, white spats, and I'm leaning on a Russian wolfhound. You're... <laughs> You're leaning on a Russian wolfhound? In my hand, I'm holding a highball. Well, what are you supposed to be? A robe of distinction. So long, but... <laughs> Titus will really switch from hard cider. Oh, well, let's try this next door. Howdy, Jeffy. Ah, oh, Mrs. Nussbaum. Say, you look excited. Who's excited? I'm frantic. What, uh, what's wrong? As I'm taking out of the oven, an upside-down cake is ringing suddenly the telephone. Uh-huh. Hurriedly, I'm stepping down the upside-down cake and answering naturally the telephone. Well, so what is all the excitement about? I'm forgetting how I'm stepping down the upside-down cake. <laughs> hey, that is confusing. Now I'm not knowing which side is upside and which side is downside. <laughs> what are you going to do? I'm standing it on end and calling it a strudel. That's good. <laughs> Tell me, Mrs. Nussbaum, have you been victimized by misrepresentation in advertising? Mostly in the movies. In the movies? On the screen is showing a trailer. Yes. It is saying, <clears throat> coming next week, you shouldn't miss it. Chills will leaping up your spine. I see. Always this week the picture is bad. Fair. Next week is coming a humdinger. <laughs> I've noticed that. Last night I'm going to the movie. A double feature? The zombie is getting up his dander in Technicolor. Yeah. <laughs> also, the wolf man is having a litter. I've seen that. Very good. <laughs> How were the pictures? So blinted. Oh, bad. Again, it's flashing on the screen. Coming next week, you were blowing your top. 
That's <laughs> coming next week. One thing is not coming next week. What? I am not coming, thank you. <laughs> Cup of shanty of Mr. Cassidy. Mr. Cassidy surely must be waiting for us. Well, tell me, Mr. Cassidy. Oh, that's that's on the other part. Tell me, Mr. Cassidy. Tell me, Mr. Cassidy, about this advertising discussion. Me boy! Advertising should be stopped by legislation. Really? Especially them preposterous contests they have on the radio. Why do you say that? Oh, thanks to them quiz programs, every moron in America today has a refrigerator. <laughs> you, uh... Well, I, I heard the quiz program there. Yeah. One of the contestants had amnesia. They asked him who he was. He couldn't remember his name. Yes. For making a grand try, they gave him $800. <laughs> gave him a brand new house in case he couldn't remember where he lived. <laughs> you say you're against uh, these radio contests, eh, Jack? Oh, no. Look what contests did for Genghis Branigan. What, uh, what happened to Genghis? Well, after winning two limericks and a jingle prize, yeah. Genghis won the biggest soap contest in the country. What was the first prize? Genghis gets $40 a week as long as he lives. Yes. And for 52 weeks after he dies. Good. <laughs> His son is getting a college education with a career guarantee. Fine. They're sending Genghis' daughter to her finishing school until she's finished. Well. <laughs> and Genghis and Mrs. Brannigan have to take a cruise to Bermuda every two weeks until they're 65. Whether they want to or not. Hey, that was some award. Oh, it was the Pixie Soap Contest. I use Pixie Soap because... Well, what was Genghis's winning answer? I use Pixie Soap because I'm dirty. Goodbye. <laughs> Combining their unusual talents, the DeMarcos and Maestro Goodman come up with When the Red Red Robin Comes Bob Bob Bobbing Along. Girl?
Now, Lady uh, Fred. Yes, Kenny? This message just came from Mrs. Nussbaum. She wants to see you right away. Well, I just left there. Something must be up, Kenny. We better get back to Alan's Alley. <laughs> And it's the third door. All right, I'll knock. Howdy, Jeffries. Oh, Mrs. Nussbaum, I just received your message. Is something wrong? Confidentially, I'm needing advice. Advice? I'm looking for a certain party. Yes? He is telling my husband, Pierre, to taking his Ford for service back home. Oh, I know that certain party. Kenny, Mrs. Nussbaum here says you told Pierre to take his Ford back home for service. Well, yes, Mrs. Nussbaum. I advise every Ford owner to take his Ford back home for service. This on the radio I'm hearing. Well, your Ford dealer has Ford trained mechanics and special equipment just for working on Ford's. This also I'm hearing. Your Ford dealer uses factory-approved methods and genuine Ford parts. It pays to take your Ford back home for service. Sending Fords back home is one thing. Yes. But everything Pierre is sending back home. How do you mean? My cream cheese he's sending back home to Philadelphia. <laughs> My furniture he's sending back home to Grand Rapids. Well, why don't you put your foot down? Both feet I'm putting down. What happened? Pierre is sending me back home to my mother. Thank you. You have just heard a few random notes played, uh, plucked uh, from You Were Meant For Me by Maestro Al Goodman and his UN Orchestra. UN meaning unfinished numbers. And now, say, Portland. Yes? Would you be kind enough to hand me that news clipping on the piano over there? Uh... This one? Yes. I cut it out of variety. It's a want ad. What does the ad want? Oh, no, wait. Not that. It says... It says... That's from that Harvard man, too. <laughs> uh, the ad says here, Wanted immediately radio scripts for new mystery program. Must be very exciting, very dramatic, and very cheap. Call Basil Rathbone, Biltmore Theater. Isn't Basil Rathbone in that play, The Heiress? Oh, yes. He's still in The Heiress, but he must be coming back into radio in his spare time. Now, I have a story that just fits Basil. When my mystery goes on the air, Sam Spade will start digging his own grave. Has Mr. Rathbone seen your script yet? No, not, not yet. I have an appointment tonight. I'm going over to Basil's apartment right now. Portland, I'll see you later. <laughs> Ah, this is the place. What's this sign on the door? Basil Rathbone, criminal investigator, crime solved at all hours, can fix parking tickets. Also, orchestra seats for the heiress. I wonder if Basil is in. Well, Fred Ellis. Basil Rathbone. Uh, say, Basil, if you're busy... Uh, not at all, Fred. Come in. You know, I thought you might uh, might be posing. I've seen your picture in so many ads lately. Yes, I'm using persona blades. I've accepted the Saverin coffee challenge, and I'm drinking Schaefer's, the finest beer I've ever tasted. Gad, Basil, you, you're doing everything but stepping out of thousands of store windows. I endorse... <laughs> I endorse cigarettes too, Fred, over the radio. You endorse cigarettes on the air? Why, who do you think Willie the Penguin is? Basil, you mean? Smokul, smokul, Doesn't it bother you impersonating a penguin that way? Well, I think I've been doing the penguin too long, you know, Fred. Occasionally, I catch myself waddling. Well, you... You'd better stop before you start snapping at Admiral Byrd. <laughs> but uh, speaking of ads, uh, Basil, I saw your, uh, your ad in Variety. Oh, about my new radio program. Yes. Yes, if I get the right script, Fred, I can put my program on the air tomorrow. Uh, what, uh, what about a sponsor? Oh, I have a sponsor. It's a frozen fruit concern. Fruit? 
I've heard of frozen foods. This company only freezes watermelons. Oh, watermelons. Yes, my program will be called the Fagel Frozen Watermelon Mystery Theater. Fagel's Frozen Watermelon. Yes, the program opens with two gunshots, then a jingle. Listen to this. When you're buying frozen fruit... What's the fruit that's sure to suit? It's a frosted goodie, the fastest selling Fagel's frozen watermelon. That is, without a doubt, the finest singing commercial I've heard since a royal pudding. Yes, if I can only find a script as exciting... They both be on the hit parade, let's say. <laughs> Fred, I want a, a script as exciting as Fagel's commercial. Well, Basil, I... Well, uh... look here. Look at all these mystery scripts that I have here. They're, they're sending it here. They're impossible. But, uh... Look at this one. It's called The Man with the Neon Jimmy. The Man with the Neon Jimmy? What? <laughs> what is it about? Well, a burglar goes in to rob a factory. Yes. The safe is too heavy, so he saws the safe in two and carries one part of it away. Do they catch the burglar? The next night. Yes. The burglar comes back for the other part of the safe. Why does he come back? The burglar doesn't want to be half safe. <laughs> hey, that sounds, that sounds like a case the fat man has sat on. <laughs> Frankly, Fred. As you can see, I need a good mystery. And that is why I am here. I have the perfect story for your Fago Frozen Watermelon Mystery Theater. Is it good? This script will hold television at bay for 20 years. Ah. <laughs> what is your mystery about, Fred? Well, as the story starts, we hear dramatic music. <laughs> Ago, Lady Bensonhurst, the famous bird lover, invited me to her tea party. How well I remember that fatal afternoon. As I entered the drawing room, the cuckoo clock struck three. I put my briefcase on the table. Chung, Lady Bensonhurst's houseboy, greeted me. Oh, good afternoon, Mr. Nottingham. Oh, good afternoon, Chung. Are uh, care for tea? Uh, no, thank you, Chung. Are uh, care for cocktail? Uh, not right now. Chung, make a special oriental martini. Oriental martini. Instead, have all of a Chung Yu's lychee nut. Very tasty. Oh, yes. <laughs> I was about to accept Chung's offer when Lady Bensonhurst wrapped her fan for attention. Quiet, quiet, everyone. Quiet, please. I'm now going to divulge why I invited all of you bird lovers here this afternoon. Mr. Nottingham here is my solicitor. I've called him here to change my will. But, but Lady Bensonhurst... I'm leaving my entire fortune to buy worms for undernourished English sparrows. Worms? From the day I die, no English sparrow will ever go hunting. Bravo! Lady Bensonhurst was mad. Lady Bensonhurst was mad leaving her fortune to the sparrows. I had to talk to her alone. I must get rid of that crowd of bird lovers. Rushing to the window, I shouted, Look! Look out there on the lawn! A yellow-bellied sapsucker! And out of season, too! <laughs> it worked! The crowd rushed out. We were alone. Lady Bensonhurst spoke. I say, Norbert, why are you looking at me so strangely? Now, Lady Bensonhurst, about your will. <laughs> finished my business with Lady Bensonhurst and was putting on my Inverness cape uh, when one of the bird lovers rushed in. I say, Lady Bensonhurst, the yellow-bellied sapsucker got away. <laughs> I, 
I, I say, Lady Bensonhurst. Something wrong, old man? Well, it's Lady Bensonhurst, Mr. Nottingham. She's dead. Dead? I say, I'm calling the police. Summoning all vehicles. Summoning all vehicles. Calling Detective One Long Pen. Proceed to Bensonhurst Manor, lower up until on the scrub. Lady Bensonhurst has come a cropper. Calling Detective One Long Pen. One Long Pen. Greetings and shalom alakum, kitties. <laughs> Detective One Long Pan, Chinese Dick Clacy on job. Long Pan look over the backland. The chauffeur is Long Pan. Oh, Long Pan look over. Oh, Long Pan. Oh, Long Pan. Potential A follows. I say, old boy, I say. <laughs> Will you stop that foul bellowing? Who are you, Mr. Long Nose? I am Norbert Nottingham. Lady Bensonhurst's solicitor. Very good. Uh, but who is Lady Bensonhurst? Uh, Lady Bensonhurst is the body. She's there on the chair, slumped over her lorgnette. Long, long pan, whip into action. So I'll climb no time. Well, I hope so. I'm due at the Audubon Society in half an hour. Oh. <laughs> Little man talking with sponge in mouth. <laughs> who are you? I'm Cuthbert Collins, president of the Birmingham Bird Watchers Society. Nest four. Nest four. <laughs> very good, very good, Mr. Cuthbert Collins. Long panel as you for murder Lady Swainsonhurst. Oh, that's ridiculous. Uh, yes, when Lady Bensonhurst was done in, I was out on the lawn looking for a yellow-bellied tap sucker. <laughs> Long pan leave no stone unturned. Long pan grew yellow, yellow Kelly strap knocker. The sap sucker is a bird, long pan. You're just beating about the bush. Exactly. Confucius say, many men who beat around the bush get bird, but not yellow Kelly strap knocker. Your car's waiting, Mr. Nottingham. Oh, thank you, Molly. Thank you. Well, I must trip along. Uh, can I drop you somewhere, long pan? Not so fast. Not so fast, Mr. Boddingham. Woman in case here look very suspicious. Who are you, Missy, Missy Short, a dark one, dumpy? I'm Molly, the maid. Long pan, cherche la femme. Here, get your hands off me, you heathen. You ain't no chiropractor. <laughs> you, 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 you fess up, Missy. You, you, personal, you, you kill Lady Fensonhurst. No, Barney, I was outside changing the water in the bird bath. Oh, oh, long pan, clap you, long pan, catch you now. Not a Saturday night. Why you change water in bird bath? For the white rock pippets. The white lump nippets? The water was dirty. The pippets' white wraps was coming out tattletale grey. <laughs> Long pan, it's obvious you're getting nowhere. Long pan closing in. Who else? Who else was in house? Well, only Chung, the houseboy. You, you, you ling for Chung. You very ling well. for Chung. Yes. Long pan girl Chung to very well. Oh, somebody ling or Chung? Oh, I say, do you two celestials know each other? Oh, in China, in China, confidentially, in China, Chong, Chong here, big counterfeiter. Counterfeiter? Why you leave? Why you leave China, Chong? Inflation. I got to work all year to make a dollar. Oh. <laughs> Very good. You, you, you fess up, you fess up, Chong, Ching Wah, Chong, Long Fong, Chong, Wook. From beginning? From beginning. What happened? 
Marge, tell you exactly what happened. Lady Bensonhurst was giving a tea party for bird lovers. Exactly. I was Lady Bensonhurst's solicitor. She told me to bring her will. Uh, by Jove, now I recall. You recall what, Mr. Stoolpitcher? Well, Lady Bensonhurst announced she was changing her will. Changing will? And then someone shouted, oh, look, on the lawn. Well, the yellow-bellied sap sucker. Again, the yellow-kelly sap knocker. Yeah, but we, we all dashed out. When you come back? Lady Bensonhurst was dead, and Mr. Nottingham was putting on his invalid. Very good. Long panel left you, Mr. Nottingham, for murder Lady Jensen first. You're insane, Long Pan. Why should I kill Lady Bensonhurst? Long Pan examined briefcase, open briefcase. No, no, don't you touch those papers. Lady Bensonhurst was changing her will. She was leaving her fortune to buy worms for destitute Sarah. Oh, you see, will the will here not to change. Beneficiary, not not sparrow. Well, who is the beneficiary? Mr. Norbert Nottingham. Solution obvious. Mr. Nottingham need money. Oh, that's ridiculous. Why should I need money? This stock certificate, also here in briefcase. Empire Song Empire Song Glass Limited. Go bankrupt last week. You, Mr. Nottingham, principal stockholder. Yes, yes, I know. I was a fool. I bought two million pairs of sunglasses to sell in England, and the sun hasn't been out in England for three years. <laughs> motive, motive, confidentially obvious. You lose fortune. You kill Lady Bensonhurst to catch him, catch him money and will. You fess up, fess but up. But this evidence is all the circumstantial long pen. I defy you to prove I murdered Lady Bensonhurst. You'll be sorry. Long pen examine body. All right, all right, you'll see. There are no bullet holes, no knife wounds, no evidence of poison. Holy smoke. Uh, what is it, Long Pan? On back Lady Bensonhurst's head, you see. What? Four lumps. Four lumps? See anyone? <laughs> Long Pan, unless you again, Mr. Nottingham, for murder Lady Bensonhurst. Ah, good try, old pig, but where is the weapon? No weapon used. You see where body's sitting? It's in front of the radio. On top of radio, light behind head, is cuckoo clock. Long Pan turn clock back. To four o'clock, you watch. Chad, the cuckoo hit Lady Bensonhurst on the head four times. At the base of skull, medulla oblongata. First blow stun, next two blows tentatively kill, fourth blow kill positively. I think I'll, um, I think I'll step out and have a look at that yellow killed strap knocker. Not so, not so fast, Mr. Nottingham. Long panel as you for third and final time for murder lady Benson Bunsen Burner. Long panel, you're uncanny. Confucius say, man who commit murder with clock end up doing time. Oh, long pan hot tonight. Chinese Jack Eigen tonight. Let's go. Let's go, Mr. Nottingham. Good night, Chung. Oh, good night, good night. I want to thank Basil Rathmore for joining us tonight. Next week, our guest will be Mr. James Farley, the author of that bestseller, The James Farley Story. And as usual, your host will be your friendly Ford dealer. Here's a tip-off on what they're saying in Detroit these days. The word is watch Ford in 48. Meanwhile, it will pay you Ford owners to keep your present car in top-notch condition. And the way to do that is to bring it back home for service, home to your Ford dealer. Thank you and good night. Good night. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Thank you.